Welcome to What Didn't Kill You, where we explore personal and professional stories of adaptation in the face of adversity and the causal relationship between pain and growth. I'm your host, Michael Silverman. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and student of life that is fascinated by how professional missteps, adverse life circumstances, and pain are harnessed by people and organizations to inform future triumphs and bring deeper meaning to their life and work. Join me as we explore the mindsets, philosophies, and narratives of those who embody Friedrich Nietzsche's timeless aphorism, what does not kill me, makes me stronger. Amir Hamad, thank you so much for joining the program. I've been really looking forward to this for a while. We've had a lot of awesome life discussions over the years, over uh, cups of jet fuel cold brew. So excited to do a, uh, a recorded version of that. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here and love that you're spending time to do this, uh, not only for yourself, but for a lot of people who can benefit from uh, the insights provided. Uh, hopefully I can contribute to that a bit today. Well, I hope so. Certainly the, the guests provide more than I do, but you, you appreciate you making time. I know you're you're wearing a lot of hats right now, um, but uh, the primary one is CEO of Welcome Tech. And I know that's been a, a position you've held for, I, I think, near 10 years now, or at least the, the predecessor to Welcome Tech. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Yeah, no, that's right. Been at it for some time now. It's been a big part of sort of my purpose, uh, I'd say, in life and sort of my desire to try to make some kind of positive social impact, not just with my personal efforts, but with my professional efforts as well. So love to share more about that uh, in related to the lessons learned as I've been building for all these years. Absolutely. And there's, I know there's so many lessons and, and I want to jump into them all, but maybe you could just start by sharing a little bit about Welcome Tech and, and how it's evolved into what it is today. Great. Yeah. So at Welcome Technologies, what we're looking to do is really build the future of immigration. We're sitting here in 2020, and uh, I'm still astonished that in the U.S. and or anywhere else in the world, we don't really have a formal onboarding integration and support platform for immigrants. And if you think of countries the same way you think of companies, you would want to attract great talent and then enable that talent. But we do almost the opposite here as well as the rest of the world. And so, you know, when you think about how much uh, our immigrant communities contribute to the GDP of our country, uh, the fact that we leave their success to complete chance is somewhat craziness. And here in the U.S., we don't have a digital Ellis Island. And so that's really where we see the opportunity, building a better operating system for immigrants and immigration. It's a big vision. Uh, You know, it's rooted in some fundamentals in terms of, you know, what resources and services immigrants need to succeed, which largely lies in sort of financial services and making sure, you know, every immigrant has a fair opportunity to access financial services that enable their lives. But without getting too much into the details, at the end of the day, it's about leveraging data and technology to improve the lives of immigrants uh, and their families. And so that's what we've been building. You know, today we have over 2 million users of our platform and growing. We have a nationwide platform. And ultimately, I think, you know, I want to be working on something that has certainly a huge opportunity from a financial outcome in terms of building a massive enterprise, but also something that gives us a shot at being worthy of something like the Nobel Prize. And so I'd say, 
that's what our company is about at Welcome Tech, um, really trying to build a company that has impact in a positive way in society and also uh, has an opportunity to you know, uh, show returns to our team and to our investors who are involved with it. And lastly, I'll just say this. I think that you know, we have an opportunity in the U.S., uh, whether it be through our company or other efforts to be leaders in solving for this issue, which is you know, daily in the news uh, as a challenge for many countries who are trying to figure out how to onboard and support their immigrant communities more effectively. And so what we hope is that with our company, uh, not only can we build a great entity, but, you know, be an example as a part of solutions coming out of the U.S. and, you know, America being an example to the rest of the world of sort of how we can address these challenges in society. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, we're a nation of immigrants, and yet we struggle so mightily with the problem of immigration and national attitudes about about immigration. It's a very seemingly paradoxical social problem. Most definitely. And I think, you know, if you look across uh, society and challenges that we face, you know, often it's assumed that government is going to step in to, to deal with some of these issues. But I would just look at something like SpaceX, right, and say, look, there's a category where NASA and government uh, in some ways, and some would argue that uh, we're moving too slow to, you know, get where we need to be on space exploration and, you know, reaching out to, you know, whether it be Mars or, or getting more satellites into space. And so rather than wait for government and or other organizations to step in and solve that problem, you know, there's a company that's building a better brand, a better technology, better data, better teams than government ever could. And we think about what we're working on in a similar way, right? Arguably, you know, the problem we're trying to ultimately solve for, you know, could be assumed as a issue that government should step in and handle. Um, but it just hasn't been the case. Government's been a lot more focused on policy and security, which, you know, is, is reasonable. Those are priorities as well. But there's these practical needs that our immigrant communities are looking for. And so we think there's an opportunity to, to, again, similar to SpaceX, build a better brand, a better team, better data and technology, you know, to solve this problem better than government could. Amir, how'd you get started on this journey with Welcome Tech? Yeah. So a bit of a random path of life, uh, although I think we're all, you know, drawn towards our strengths. I was a medical school student in Chicago and I got an opportunity to work with the state Senate in California to learn more about healthcare policy and healthcare reform in California. And I took that opportunity thinking that it would be a one-year learning environment for me to get some understanding of how legislation and policy is developed for healthcare. And while working with the Senate, the Senate Health and Human Services Committee was exposed to some of the challenges that exist among immigrant communities. In particular, we were doing a lot of policy work with Mexico, as is the case usually between California and Mexico, a lot of binational policy put in place, whether it be on the healthcare front or other industries, and getting exposure to some of the efforts that consulates and embassies are involved in when it comes to supporting the immigrant communities here in the U.S. or the diaspora from the countries of origins that those consulates and embassies provide. In any case, one of my early projects gave me uh, a 
uh, opportunity to work on national educational programs for immigrants in the U.S., And it was through that experience that I ended up starting my first company uh, focused on this demographic, which was an educational media platform where we were providing print brochures or print media and digital media to the waiting rooms of consulates and embassies across the U.S. And we were able to distribute a ton of content and information for free to immigrant community members across the country by uh, enabling a advertisement or sponsorship model that paid for the information. And it was super successful, you know, profitable business from day one, also made a ton of impact in the lives of uh, community members. And from that really experience, there were a lot of opportunities presented. Uh, Ultimately, we felt that there was a huge gap in the market that, you know, we couldn't believe that we're pretty lonely in the space, uh, providing this type of information and realizing that uh, immigrant community members were desperately in need of a trusted platform they could turn to for accessing the information and resources that they need. And so after about five years working on my previous company, was at a decision point in my life where I was either going to head back to medical school and finish that off or work on something that I felt was you know, compelling enough and big enough to deter me from going back to medical school, which was a big, you know, goal and objective in my life at that time. And so in part, it was building out this big vision, but also just getting exposure to social entrepreneurship, the idea that you could build companies that could, you know, make money and provide a quality life for you and your team, but also make an enormous impact in the world. And that just seemed like the right way to spend my life. (laughs) So. so made the decision to proceed and, you know, raise some early capital and got to it. And was that first company, Saberis Poder? It was, yeah. Saberis Poder was the name of uh, the previous company, which means knowledge is power in Spanish. Our focus was primarily the largest immigrant population in the world, which is the Spanish-speaking and or Hispanic immigrant population here in the U.S. And so that was the company that I was building previously. So you went from medical student, pivoted into becoming an, an entrepreneur, socially minded entrepreneur, and then you know you you built a successful enterprise, but decided to pivot that into more of a technology driven platform. So a lot of pivots over the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think it was like evolution and sort of you know getting drawn deeper and deeper into the areas of interest that you have. I think, you know, the company I'm working on today and even some of the previous opportunities are somewhat built on my personality and interests. You know, that's probably the case for a lot of entrepreneurs and founders where, you know, the company I'm working on today not only has this ability to make money and make impact, but also gives me exposure to different, you know, categories, industries, walks of life that I find super interesting, right? I get access to interactions in government, in business, in you know commercial interactions as well as investment interactions, and then you know stay connected to sort of the grassroots community level where I get to see the results of the work that we're doing at the community level and be interacting, whether it be with consumers who are from the immigrant community or organizations that, you know, work with these communities. Um, you know, I'm constantly 
having exposure to all this and it keeps things interesting, really, you know, it keeps things interesting. And I grew up in a way where I think, you know, I had access to these different types of communities, whether it was in the community my father was working in called San Pedro, where, you know, you had a lot of the lower to middle income family households and um, I had a chance to, you know, build relationships and long-term friendships in those communities to, you know, going to private school, you know, on the other side of town and getting exposure to family and friends who had a ton of access and resources in their lives and understanding their perspectives. So I think, you know, it's kind of built into who I am, you know, enjoying this dynamic of being able to maybe uh, be connected to Main Street and all the way up to Wall Street, you know, and having that access and optionality is is super interesting to me. Was it challenging as you as you made those shifts, a few of those shifts that you've mentioned to follow your passions, follow your interest levels in ways that maybe you you hadn't thought you were going to previously? Oh, yeah. You know, I think change is always a challenge. And so regardless of whether it's planned or it's, um, you know, coming by surprise, there's always a bit of discomfort, to say the least, in these changes. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest and most difficult changes was to sort of give up on the path to becoming a physician in my life, because it was something that was so built into me from a very young age. I assumed that I was going to be a doctor, you know, everything I had worked on and worked toward, you know, for much of my life was about going to medical school and and finishing up my medical degree. But once I discovered this opportunity, I think to make impact on a larger scale, at least I assumed that would be the opportunity. You know, I, I had to make that decision because even though there was a part of me that probably would have liked to juggle medical school as well as building companies, it wasn't really <laughs> an option at the time. And so, so in any case, yeah, it was a big struggle. It wasn't something that I decided overnight. It was years uh, of contemplation and struggle, tough conversations with friends and family. And eventually, I think a bit of it was the process being delayed long enough for me to get sucked in deep enough into, you know, the mission and building of the company that, you know, over time it became easier. But, you know, it's still something I look back at and ask the question around, you know, what kind of life I would have led or what would have been different about going down that road. I can't say it's 100% resolved, but it's it's near that at this point. <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to unwind that one uh, over time for a while, but it was definitely one of the bigger, you know, crossroads, we'll say, in my life that I had to uh, work through. Yeah. And I know one of the one of the more impactful crossroads and and again verging into the the medical world was uh, I think sitting here in November 2020, we're 10 days away from your 8-year anniversary of of remission from cancer. You're a young guy. How much has that played into the journey that you've been on and that you find yourself today and the the perspective you have with it? Yeah. So thank you for that. In 2012, I was diagnosed with stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was a complete surprise to myself, my friends and family. And as you can imagine, there's no sort of manual or handbook uh, or instruction guide on how to work through something like that. 
And so like many challenges, regardless of how they're packaged, you know, bring a lot of lessons with them. And it's certainly for me at that stage of life to be impacted with something like that. How old were you at the time? I was 32. So, you know, it, it came a lot sooner for me than it has for a lot of others. And initially, certainly had similar feelings as you might imagine folks have when they're you know, dealt a raw hand and feel uh, that uh, it's unfair or, you know, kind of spend time on the the how and the why. And that can be, you know, deteriorating. And, uh, but I'm human and I had my, you know, a couple of weeks to wallow in that. But from there, I think I really turned a corner and started focusing on the what uh, more so than the how and the why, meaning you know, what was I going to get out of the process? And, uh, you know, I, I stopped considering, you know, why I had been dealt this raw hand and, and instead asking or saying, you know, why not? And so I think there was a there was a point at which I turned a corner and started realizing that, you know, if I actually focused on what gifts I could draw out of that process, it was going to be a lot more valuable of a period of time in my life than really beating myself up on, you know, the challenges that were in my face at, at the time. And so, so much of that experience has informed, you know, much of my life since then. I can't say that I'm a totally different person. I think that would be wrong. I think that I'm armed with, you know, new tools and weapons, if you will, that help me navigate what is life. And what I mean by that is life has its inevitable challenges and we all have to sort of embrace that and understand, I think, and a very important lesson that was gifted to me in my process, which is ultimately life and all its parts are nothing but one big opportunity. You know, we as humans kind of decide to label things as good and bad and difficult and easy and I don't know that whatever created all this had the intention of labeling things as such or created things to be categorized in that way. And instead, they just are. And I think we lose sight of that as we navigate life and, you know, get wired and conditioned for a lot of the experiences that we have. And if you can take a step back, as, you know, tough as it is to, embrace at times, everything is an opportunity in life, right? And so I think I try to maintain that outlook because it's not as if I went through cancer and then got a free pass on the rest of life. (laughs) It's actually much the opposite. And one of the reasons I have so much respect for others who have, you know, navigated similar challenges is that, you know, there's these incidents in life where you sort of picked up and dropped on your head and everything is shattered. And you know, the assumption is that you can put all the pieces back together and, you know, keep going. And I don't know that uh, it works out that way for everybody. You know, I happen to manage forward and figure it out and uh, fortunately be one of the lucky ones as it relates to my health and and remission. But there's a lot of folks who haven't been as lucky. And, um, you know, I don't know that the world has some way of supporting every one of those individuals in a way that you would hope and I would hope because everybody's got their own set of problems, <laughs> you know, so, so there's not a lot of time to 
you know, provide extra support. There's a lot of angels out there. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't want to take anything away from that, but for the most part, you know, we're all on our own journey and we're all trying to figure out how to navigate those journeys. And certainly as a survivor from an illness like cancer, you know, it's not over as soon as you're done with chemotherapy, you know, in a lot of ways, you're just getting started and society doesn't necessarily know how to recognize that or contribute to that. And so it can be a very lonely process, but it can also be one that's, you know, full of lessons and blessings and, you know, in my case, empowering so that I could, you know, be prepared for for what has been, you know, the journey since my cancer. But there's a lot of lessons in it. And I'd love to share whatever I can. And the biggest one being that truly, you know, everything in life is an opportunity. Yeah. It reminds me of that, you know, the saying it's um, looking at life as though life is happening for you instead of to you. And shifting, shifting mm-hmm. that mindset can be really hard when you're faced with uh, the most painful circumstances. But it's, it's... most definitely, you know, a lot of a lot of times when you're someone who's gone through something like cancer, you know, you hear from others a lot of that. You know, what you hope is empathy, right? Where they say, "Well, that was toughest thing anybody could ever go through," or "My problems aren't like what you dealt with." But you know, but I remind people, you know, it comes in different packaging for all sorts of people. You know, what I dealt with and what I learned in cancer is for some others, you know, manufactured through deaths in their family, uh, breakups, bankruptcies, you know, these big, hard, tough challenges that can, you know, quote unquote, break you, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and you have to find a way through can ultimately share similar lessons. You know, I would never wish upon anybody, you know, what I had to go through. But there's also not much I could have manufactured in life to force me to engage with the lessons and uh, gain the insights that I did from that experience. Yeah, I think it's that's an interesting point because, I mean, you and I have, have talked so much about those types of lessons where, you know, your your cancer journey my journey losing my little sister suddenly at a young age, you obviously two very different things that, you know, experientially. And yet it, I think that we, we drew sort of some similar conclusions around life and around navigating trauma and tragedy and, and toughness. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, we were talking about a little bit before we started recording here is just that you're going through that period of time in some ways it feels like the curtain is being pulled back from the universe and, and you're learning a lot of really profound, but painful lessons. Mm -hmm. And then you think, Oh man, I'm, I'm armed with these really powerful tools now. But as you get further away, it's easy to think, Oh, well, I've suffered so intensely and I've, and I've suffered so much. My sufferings, you know, my suffering's done or the challenges are over with, right? It reminds me of that the Victor Frankl passage where he talks about, you know, people leaving the concentration camp, surviving and going back to their neighborhoods and neighbors saying, well, so what we've suffered too. Right. And, mm-hmm. and realizing that, well, there's, there's no end to it just because this episode is over, but hopefully you're, you're empowered with some realizations and some lessons and, and hopefully some, some endurance to help you through the future, the future challenges. Yeah. I mean, as the saying goes, life goes on, you know? And so, you know, as, as it does go on, you know, what uh, does one do to stay anchored in some of these lessons 
from the difficult times. You know, I'd say some of it hits so deep and creates sort of that kind of scar tissue that, you know, sticks with you regardless of how much you move on. But a good large majority of it can be washed away if you don't build some of the anchors and, you know, which may come through rituals that you maintain from those periods. And I was really fortunate both to come to the realization myself, as well as speaking to folks during that period who, you know, projected that that would it would be a challenge, right, to continue maintaining. Of course, in the first number of years, you're still so concerned about any, you know, resurfacing of cancer that, you know, that keeps you in check. But definitely as you get further along, and in particular, if you have other things in life that you're super engaged with, that are part of your purpose, that keep you busy, you know, you can sway away from from that. And and maybe even some of it is, you know, an attempt to bury some of that behind you. You know, you do try to move on mentally. And so it's a challenge. But look, in my case, I try to maintain reminders. You know, I was engaged to my now wife, you know, at that time. And so I had other people who are very close to me go through the experience and, you know, probably have a good dose of uh, PTSD from from the period as well. And so contribute to ensuring that I, I do stay grateful and uh, and connected to all that. And then, you know, having regular, you know, rituals in my life, whether it be journaling or, you know, conversations with close friends, you know, that, uh, that are ways to stay connected to it. But I'd say, you know, eight years out, there are some real key things from that period that have stuck with me, and I hope will continue to be a part of my life. You know, high level, certainly that even in these toughest experiences, there are a ton of blessings that come with them. So as I am faced with new challenges in life, being of the mindset that I can find positive value in those experiences and being able to flip that switch has been a powerful tool. And also, I think a big shift that happened for me at that younger age was kind of moving toward living life more in a form of sort of Tai Chi than Jiu Jitsu. And that's not to knock Jiu Jitsu. I think it's a beautiful art, <laughs> but it requires a little bit more of a, you know, balance of push and pull versus, you know, Tai Chi, which is, you know, in some ways about existing in what is and embracing the fact that we don't control much of all this. And so being present in this experience of life and realizing that as challenging or difficult as sometimes can be, as beautiful and amazing as other times can be, it's not all as we planned it or as we forced it to be, but it just, it is what it is, uh, to use a popular quote from the Times. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you know, I'm happy to share whatever I can from that period of time, if it's useful to you and anybody listening. But I'd say it was uh, something that has built a set of tools for me that stick with me. And I'm grateful for to receive those tools at such an early time in life, because I think a lot of people, you know, they look at me and they say, wow, this is a guy who had cancer at a, at a young age, you know, versus, wow, this is a guy who got some tremendous life lessons way earlier than most people in this world tend to. 
And that's the way I choose to think of it. Absolutely. And I love that Tai Chi versus Jiu Jitsu <laughs> kind of dichotomy. How does that apply to your life as an entrepreneur? Because yeah. I think classically, yeah, that's a great one. you know, the entrepreneurial journey is one of like, I'm going to go assert my will on the world, right? <laughs> how does that jive with how you spend your most of your time these days? No, that was the case prior to cancer. I'd say if there was a shift in sort of my approach to business, it was probably just, you know, the belief that if I kicked down enough doors and made enough phone calls and traveled to enough places that, you know, the results would occur because of that sort of forced nature of the process. I think we need to maintain that we all are a force in this world and that we have that inside of us. But there's sort of a balance of realizing that much of life occurs the way it's going to occur, regardless of how much force you apply. And maybe just the realization of that helps to deal with so many of the things that may not go exactly as planned or may not be presented as easily as you hoped. And just the belief and almost blind faith that things will work out one way or another and being open to the path that ends up occurring is something that's really healthy <laughs> for me to have. Because if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you know, you need to sort of sign up for the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that it entails, regardless of who you are and where you come from and what resources you might have available to you. Entrepreneurship, you know, is a process that is going to be a roller coaster and no matter who you are and, you know, where you came from. And so, so yeah, I think that is something from that period of time that I was able to to take with me. The other is just, you know, understanding the difference between things that are nice to have versus the things that you must have. And, you know, whether you're talking about health and love, which are essential aspects of life that nurture you and ultimately enable you to do anything you want to do in life versus you know, wealth and opportunity, which are nice to haves, but, you know, not absolutely fundamental to us being able to have a life and uh, to, to literally live. And so, you know, often I get into these commercial negotiations or, you know, processes like fundraising, where maybe when I was younger, might have strained me more. And it's not to say I don't have the same ambition and or desire to make them happen. But I think I'm a little bit more connected to the fact that, you know, we're not dealing with life and death, right? And as a person who's been through cancer and having had to, you know, go to rounds of chemo and conversations with physicians that, you know, felt like they lasted for hours trying to figure out whether I was going to be healthy or not, uh, waiting for lab results, you know, to find out if, you know, I was still healthy or something was coming back, getting roller coaster, you know, experiences in terms of lab results and, you know, potential outcomes. I mean, those are the things that are real, you know, and that uh, one, I think, is uh, able to stress over in a reasonable way and, and feel like, okay, this is worthy of my concern <laughs> versus, you know, you get a, a term sheet or a commercial contract from somebody and or, you know, have a tough conversation about negotiating terms on whatever it might be that you're working on. You know, 
there's too many people who just lose their minds in those processes and probably lose a number of years of their lives <laughs> dealing with stuff like that. And so I think I've got a healthy perspective on it today. You know, I'll get in the ring and negotiate or work hard with the rest of them. But I think you won't see me as flustered maybe as the next guy or gal in those scenarios because I've had a chance to experience, you know, life's challenges. Yeah. Is that omnipresent for you or is that, are those things that you have to kind of pause and remind yourself about from time to time? You know, I'm human. You slip into it. I think maybe the best way to describe it is, you know, I can snap back probably quicker than most because, you know, life has a way of forcing you to react as much as I tell myself, you know, to not be reactive to some of the things that come our way in life. I'm, I'm still human, you know, and have my moments. Um, but my recovery time is probably pretty solid. <laughs> and, you know, and my ability to avoid slipping into those scenarios is, is pretty good as well. And it's something I, I'm grateful for, you know, and I mean, I'll use that as a segue to something. One of the lessons from that period that I will tell you is a very powerful one that I hope a lot of people can make use of, which is gratitude is ultimately one of the best life hacks that anybody can ever embrace. And my hope is now that I have a one-year-old son at home that I can, you know, teach my children and, and friends and family and, you know, this amazing and powerful tool that we all have access to that regardless of what you're going through can be enormously empowering, which is just to be grateful and identify those things that you can be grateful for in your life. It has an amazing way of, you know, resetting your state of mind and giving you more clarity. And it's something I had to, you know, work with certainly while I was going through cancer, but even since my recovery and remission and navigating the rest of life that I've tried to, to make use of. It sounds like a very simple thing and it can almost come off in a cheesy way, but I'm yeah. really coming from a place of, of experience on it where it, you can be in sort of your deepest, darkest state and find your way out if you do a little bit of, you know, thinking on what you can actually be grateful for in this world. Yeah, that deeply resonates with me as well. It's, um, it is remarkable how much, you know, some sort of regular practice around that can train your, train your brain and, you know, just give you that, that perspective. But I think it's, it's also something that you have to work towards, or at least that's been my experience. You know, I know can think of folks that have gone through pretty rough, rough periods of time and, and still think of that, that gratitude thing is like, uh, you know, their, their platitudes or their gift shop notebooks, gratitude notebooks that I yeah. just write things in and, and seem, seem silly in comparison to the gravity of the situation that they're dealing with. So it's, it, you know, it's, it, yeah, I was probably one of those people to yeah. be honest. You know, I, I was uh, too, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there were certain tools, you know, prior to going through cancer that I had, you know, kind of been on the sidelines observing whether it was meditation or, or gratitude and journaling, you know, always curious, but somewhat skeptical of, of the value in them. But 
it's amazing how, whether it be old books or old wisdom, you know, how useful these things can be in our, in our lives. And, you know, these are things that it's not like you and I discovered this, or I was the first one to come by this, you know, (laughs) during my challenges in life. But, uh, but they're tools that have been used since the beginning of time. And, you know, I, I think until you apply them in a consistent manner, it's hard to really appreciate what they can actually do for you. And the beauty of it is they're free, you know, they're right there available yeah. to all of us. <laughs> Absolutely. doesn't um, matter who you are, what you're going through. And you know what else I'll say, man, is that I think in Western society, especially growing up here in the States, so many of us lose sight of the fact that we're far more blessed than most of the rest of the world. And as a result of that, there's a lot of benefits, obviously, but obviously some of the downside is that we really don't have a lot of these opportunities in life to force us to think deeper or be uncomfortable to the degree that uh, much of the rest of the world is forced to do. And so I look back at cancer and frankly, a lot of challenges in life as those opportunities were people like us who have grown up in what is versus the rest of the world, a very uh, blessed scenario you know, don't have a lot of these chances to dig deeper in terms of growing because it's just easy to be comfortable and stagnant, you know? And so a lot of times when we get angry about challenges, it's because like, you just want to go back to (laughs) having things easy, you know? Yeah. So we can connect to the fact that these are the moments in life. These are the challenges in life that actually result in growth. That can be very powerful, you know? And I certainly don't want to sound like one of those people who, you know, has now gotten through on the other side. You know, you hear these like entrepreneurs who've made multi-billions of dollars and they talk about entrepreneurship 101 as if like it's the easiest thing in the world. I'm fully aware of how difficult and challenging all this stuff is. But I also have an appreciation for some of these fundamentals that, you know, if if applied can can help any of us navigate through life's challenges. And so I'm a big believer and I've, I've experienced it. And I think that, you know, gratitude along with other, you know, rituals in our lives, like meditation, as well as, you know, just simple, like having a close group of friends where you can open up to and being vulnerable is super, super healthy for all of us. There's a side note on the vulnerability piece I want to mention, which is that prior to going through cancer, I think like many men generally, and then also you know, in my culture, you know, the idea of being vulnerable, you know, or sharing vulnerability was not a comfortable one. And uh, it wasn't until I went through an experience like that, where I realized if you can embrace your vulnerability, it can be very, very empowering. And so I think that was one of the bigger lessons from that period of time that I've tried to stay connected to, especially as an entrepreneur, where the assumption is you need to act like, you know, Superman all the time and yeah. make it through whatever it is you're dealing with and represent as if you're, you know, impenetrable <laughs> when it comes to, you know, challenges. But, um, but yeah, I think coming away with that was a very healthy thing that I've tried to share with friends and family. I, again, a, a remarkable parallel to one of my big takeaways from dealing with, with trauma and pain, but, uh, the, you know, growing up as, as a young man, I think in, in general, especially, uh, you know, ambitious and wanting to go search your will on the world, there's that sense of emotion is weakness, vulnerability is weakness, right? And, and gosh, it's just, it's wild how 
wrong that is and how understanding the other side of that, how much that creates so much connection and so much, so much empowerment to your point that it's such an important lesson. I think that's, that's quite often really difficult to learn, especially with that sort of masculine ethos. But, you know, I think about it through my own, you know, personal journeys, emotional journeys, but the ability to be vulnerable just allows you to connect with other people and allows other people to understand how they can help you, right? Whether they're investors or advisors or friends or anything else, it lets them be invested in your success, your happiness. You know, it lets them feel like they're helping you navigate something. And it costs you so little to just be open, right? Regardless of what you're going through. Yeah. You know, it's funny coming off of the election and where we are in the state of society here in the U.S., you wonder if people were a little bit more comfortable, first of all, sharing those vulnerabilities and and then second of all, related to that, you know, empathizing for one another, we might be in a, in a better place. I know when I was going through cancer, there were a lot of moments where I just couldn't understand the reactions I was getting from from folks. And you realize that you know, people deal with pain and fear and concern in so many different ways. And you tend to frame the expected reaction in a certain way in your mind. And when it's not that way, it can be very hurtful and it can be very frustrating. Um, But I think one of the things I had to mature and grow through during my struggles was you know, coming across people who cared about me, you know, and, and were close to me, just not being in a position to handle the news that I was sick or that I was dealing with something or the fear that something worse might happen to me. And it was really uh, healthy for me to go through that because for some of those who were very close to me, they would see these reactions from friends and family and, you know, get really angry and upset and try to be protective of me. I think I was just in a place where I was just accepting, you know, of how people needed to be to manage through. But it's also been very useful to me as I've been navigating the rest of life and realizing that I really can't judge too hard on people's reactions or mindsets around certain issues because we just really never know how much is involved in people's responses or feelings you know, humans are very complex animals and, you know, whether it be things going on in their lives or conditioning or wiring or environments, you just never know what is contributing. And so I think patience and empathy is something that's, you know, unfortunately largely lacking in society, but that I would wish for a lot of people because it's, it's a critical tool if you're going to live a happy life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so much of that is fear, right? Because there's this reaction of there, but for the grace of God, go I kind of thing when someone's going through something mm-hmm. super rough. And some folks have an inclination to lean in and try to be supportive and try to be empathetic. And some people just the fear takes over. They can't cope. That's right. Yeah. Because they, think, see, they see themselves in you. I think an awareness around that, you know, is yeah. is important and um you know, we can all benefit and probably strain ourselves much less if we just stay connected to that understanding. So I'm curious, having gone what you've gone through, you know, understanding the, the power of, of adversity and now being a relatively new father, 
How do you think about the power of adversity and what you wish for your son in his life? Because of course there's the parental instinct to protect him from everything, but we're, you know, life's tough. It's got a lot of joy. It's got a lot of sorrow. How do you think about preparing a young person for that world? Well, I think that's just it is, you know, first off, yes, it's scary as a parent to think that your child is having, is going to have to deal with any sort of challenges. And I think we can all agree that the world is only becoming more complicated, <laughs> whether it be because of technology or politics or, or whatever we're faced with. And so, you know, I try to ask myself uh, what tools are going to be best to arm my son with so that when those inevitable challenges come about, he might be better suited, better armed to navigate that. I think that's the best thing we can do. And I'm a new parent, so there's much for me to learn. But I've been sort of fascinated with uncovering what these essential tools might be. I think the world has a way of representing them to us. And we just have to observe and and take note and then kind of be proactive about you know, enabling our children with those tools in whatever lessons we can provide them in a healthy environment. And so I, I do think about that a lot, actually, probably more than most or more than I should be spending time on it. But, you know, <laughs> first year of my son's life, you know, as a father, at least in our family dynamic, you know, there's not a whole lot I feel I've been able to do for him in the first year of life. And certainly not to the extent that my, my wife has been able to do. And so, you know, I ask myself sort of when the opportunities present themselves, what, what sort of things do I want to make sure they're enabled with? And so some of the things we've talked about today certainly are lessons I hope to share with him. And then, you know, just taking note of some of the challenges in society that we're all faced with and, asking myself, you know, what are some of these things that had I been handed earlier on in life in a bigger way or a more intentional way would have been would have been helpful. You know, I think we live in a society today where there's just an enormous amount of information coming our way. And that's only building. So to be grounded in strong fundamentals in terms of understanding the difference between truth and fact and, you know, misinformation is going to be really key. And then, you know, some of the emotional tools that I think, you know, will help in life, regardless of what we're faced with is what I think about a lot in terms of enabling him with. But, you know, I'm still learning. (laughs) That's the other side of it. I'm still getting better and trying to hone the skills. But I'm guessing you know, one of the ways to look back at experiences and challenges is to be able to come out the other side and say, hey, you know, at least now I have this. And yes, I do say to myself, you know, at least now I have these incredible insights and tools that I can share with my friends and family and certainly my my son so that uh, he uh, might be able to navigate even better than uh, than what I did. There's this Nietzschean concept that I'm always curious to get parents' uh, thoughts on, but you know, he essentially says to my loved ones, to people that I care about, I wish them hardship because how else will you know what measure of person you are unless you go through those things? And you know, is that easy life? I, you know, I wouldn't wish an easy life on anybody. 
Yeah, I think there's another way I've heard it, which is tough decisions, easy life, easy decisions, hard life. And um, there's some truth to that. I think one of the greatest things that I was given from my own parents who immigrated to the U.S. and kind of found a way to a you know successful life is this ability to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and scenarios or seeking comfort, you know, within that chaos, kind of finding the eye of the storm, I think is something I hope that, uh, you know, I don't want my son to have to deal with difficult issues, difficult times. But I think if I can help him be conscious of this ability to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, to understand the opportunity to grow through those uncomfortable scenarios that might make it a little bit more uh, palatable, (laughs) you know, because again, I'm conscious, like at the end of the day, I can't prevent him from having to deal with challenges in his life. Right. I think it would be the wrong energy to spend to kind of build a bubble around my child and, you know, not allow for him to experience some of these challenges. I mean, even as he's, you know, going from, being a newborn to crawling to now almost walking, you know, these are big steps, literally. (laughs) And so, you know, you you see some of this strain and your instinct as a parent is to step in and try to help. And I, I probably do what I can to give them some room, you know, to navigate the challenge and understand it and feel it out and make his way. And, uh, you know, my wife and my, my parents who are, who are newer grandparents, you know, their tendency is to just jump in there and solve it <laughs> uh, and not let them strain at all. But even this early on, I'm kind of conscious of where I need to give them a little bit of room to grow. So hopefully I can maintain that. And I think yeah. ultimately it's about those tools and that ability to be comfortable in the, you know, most uncomfortable situations that can make, really make a difference for, for people. How do you think about those principles and and conveying those ideas as you lead teams? Yeah. So first off, you look for a lot of these qualities in people when you're evaluating. And so I think that's step one is making sure that as you're building teams, you're conscious of the fact that every company is this sort of living, breathing entity, you know, uh, with a network of humans that are actually you know, responsible for making things happen. And so I think up front, being conscious of these soft skills and seeking them in different forms and fashions. I mean, you're ultimately building this mosaic of people and skills that you're trying to bring together, but certainly being conscious of it at the front end. In terms of like everyday operations, I think it provides me a healthy balance in terms of how to engage with people and how to set the tone for our culture and invite people to contribute to the culture so that some of these things we've talked about, whether it's vulnerability or empathy, are part of these conversations and interactions that in many cases are uncomfortable ones, right? So, you know, I think it's inevitable that life's lessons have a have a place in company building because so much of company building is human dynamics. I think anybody would tell you the toughest thing about building a company is is in many cases the people. And so 
I'd like to believe that as a result of having some of these tools and experiences, first off, we attract the right people to the business, but then further, I hope that it allows me to create a culture and dynamic among team members where people feel comfortable, you know, in the discomfort of moving fast and building things and, you know, making tough decisions, which is a part of the company. So I definitely would say it plays a part in identifying the right team members and then maintaining healthy dynamics across the company so that, you know, you get the most out of folks because ultimately they, they love what they're doing and they, you know, understand that they have room to grow and, and to, you know, perhaps make mistakes at times and learn from them and push each other to, to grow from them. Yeah, I would say I've got an advantage over perhaps entrepreneurs or CEOs who have had it easy in life. And I, I wouldn't say that many of them have, but, you know, I don't know that having an easy journey in life or, you know, not having to face up to tough challenges whether they be, you know, commercial issues or dynamics with co-founders or fundraising, you know, is going to be easy for anybody who hasn't, you know, navigated real challenges in life. Yeah. Are there particular peaks in your life or successes or achievements where you look at that and say, gosh, but for what I went through, I don't think I could have done that. Well, first off, I'll say, you know, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm not very good at celebrating my wins. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I probably reached a good amount of success in my life and then always ask myself sort of what's next. And so uh, a place where I can get better and I would encourage others to to be good at is, you know, celebrating your, your wins. Yeah, certainly. I mean, whether it's, you know, when I look back to the stages of fundraising for the company and some of the periods where we got to really difficult places in terms of, you know, navigating burn rates and cash in the bank and sort of tough decisions around how to manage costs before getting to that next round of capital, you know, to even, you know, frankly, marriage and having a child and, you know, getting to that point in my life after, you know, being told that some of that might not be possible uh, because of my health history. You know, those are periods that you go through that, you know, you're better suited for as a result of some of the earlier challenges in life, you know, that maybe would have been times that would have broken you had you not had some of yeah. those experiences, you know, without a doubt, there have been periods where either I looked at or close friends and family looked at and wondered how the heck I was able to navigate, you know, given how much pressure or, you know, um, pain, frankly, uh, was a part of those experiences. And I do attribute it to, you know, a lot of the lessons learned earlier in my life. Yeah. I, I am curious about the sort of the, the lack of celebrating wins and the the practice of gratitude and potentially, you know, going through um, a life-threatening period of time where you gain a, a sort of very explicit appreciation for mortality. How does that 
how do you kind of weigh on one hand, you know, I pick up on like wanting to squeeze as much as possible out of life, want, you know, expecting mm-hmm. very, very high standards for yourself with also maintaining that level of gratitude and, and sort of kindness with yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is uh, I may not celebrate my wins as much as I would like or as well as I would like, but I'm also not beating myself up. Um, yeah. You know, I expect a lot out of myself. I have massive ambitions in life. Um, you know, many times I'd like them to happen faster, sooner than, you know, might be the case. But um, maybe um, delayed gratitude <laughs> is something yeah. that I um, have gotten comfortable with, you know, having had to be in a place in my life where it really wasn't up to me, you know, how long the process was going to take or, you know, even what the outcome was going to look like. And so, you know, I think realizing that in life, it's much more about the journey than it is the outcome, Mm -hmm. embracing that and trying to kind of participate in a very present manner, the process that you're going through without, you know, beating yourself up on the expected outcome, as well as, you know, I think it does a lot for a person to have a purpose that they're very connected to um, and a bigger picture. You know, I go through these periods in building the company where either I'm fundraising or I'm working on some really tough product process. And a lot of times, you know, I think for outsiders looking in, especially people who care about me, you know, they look at those times and think to themselves, man, um, I really wish for Amir that he gets this particular outcome. Um, but I try to stay, you know, connected to the big picture. The Like, you know, in my case, I'm really trying to build a platform that has, you know, enormous impact, at least in our country, if not in the world. And, you know, first of all, it, it, that shouldn't be an easy thing to do. <laughs> and second of all, you know, it's much bigger than me as an individual or, you know, any one of these stepping stones on the way there. And so whatever somebody might look at and say, man, that is a really tough, you know, outcome or challenge or whatever they might characterize it as. I think it's healthy to be connected to that bigger picture and maintain, you know, a commitment to that big picture. You know, a lot of times, again, this is going to sound cheesy and um, you know, but it's true. I, I actually think a lot about the families that I'm trying to impact uh, with the company I'm building, not only in the sense of sort of the challenges that they've had to overcome in their lives versus whatever it is that might be bugging me on that particular day. Uh, but also, you know, should I achieve what I'm trying to achieve, what it will mean to their lives? You know, if I get frustrated these days, it's probably more with myself and a assumption that if an investor or team member or somebody isn't leaning in or buying into what we're doing, I'm not doing an effective enough job communicating that because, you know, probably my biggest challenge as it relates to our company, Michael, is that I see a lot of entrepreneurs uh, in the world, you know, working on, the next sexy widget or a business that might produce, you know, pretty good monetary returns, but often is not necessarily 
something that creates real value in the world or that any one of us can look at and say, this absolutely needs to exist. And whether it's a blessing or a curse, I happen to be working on something that I think most of us can agree needs to exist in the world, right? I hope I'm the one who can ensure that it does, but I would argue that most investors, most, you know, folks looking at the business can agree that, yes, you know, this really does need to exist in the world. It's astonishing that it doesn't. And I just may or may not have enough guts to be a part of it. (laughs) And Mm. so, so, you know, that, that's something maybe created in my own mind uh, to reassure that I'm spending my time the right way in the world. But generally speaking, it's been reaffirmed among those that I interact with about the company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've certainly got uh, a lot of confidence and faith in you in that regard. (laughs) Thanks, man. Amir, you've uh, spent a lot of time with us today and I appreciate it. Is there any kind of final thoughts that you'd share with, with an entrepreneur or someone going through cancer, just a hard time that you you haven't covered yet that uh, you feel is good things to keep in mind as you're going through tough times? Yeah, look, I think when I think back to when I first found out that I had cancer and that I was going to be going through treatment, it was a very scary place to be. It was a very frustrating place. There was a lot of anger in me. And so I don't want to represent that, you know, I, along with everybody else who gets dealt a tough hand like that, goes through all that. I think the the challenge in those initial stages is to sort of find your way to resurfacing and realizing that there is an opportunity within all of it. And I would really want to gift that to anybody else going through what seems to be an enormous challenge in their life. It's amazing how those periods can kind of be flipped on their heads if you search uh, for the opportunity within those times. And it sounds very counterintuitive. You will perhaps be questioned, even mocked (laughs) if you take this approach because it's unusual for somebody to look at a challenge or a difficult time in their life as an opportunity. But I think we're all better off if we, if we take a moment to do that and you will find that that scenario turns into something totally different. If you can look for the opportunity in it, all the blessings, all the lessons, all the skills, you know, a lot of the love, and interactions that can happen in those times can serve you in a tremendous way that other experiences that don't come with similar dynamics can provide you. So hopefully that helps to soothe many that are dealing with challenges and also reassure that those difficult feelings don't need to have to last. And it's really up to you, which is maybe the last thing I'll say that much of life is, you know, more of a mental and state of mind game than it is a physical game. And, you know, I often find myself having to navigate the uh, the chess game, <laughs> you know, to find my way through. And certainly the difficult, challenging times of life represent those tough, you know, chess moves that we need to make. And I think if we can really embrace that and lean into the mental 
process and learn things from those periods, it can be enormously powerful across so many other parts of life. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very true. At least it has been in my experience. And so I appreciate you sharing that. If people want to reach out to you or, or get in touch, is there a good way to do that? Yeah, I think you can find me on LinkedIn, just Amir Hemet, and you know, welcome tech, welcome dot tech is the website. So love to be an available resource where possible. And, you know, hopefully there were some value in this conversation. And I always enjoy, you know, the interactions and look forward to more together, my friend. Thank you, Amir, as do I. Well, I really appreciate it and best of luck and hopefully be talking to you soon. All right, Michael. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, it's Michael again. Thanks for listening to this installment of What Didn't Kill You. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to share with friends, subscribe, and review. You can continue the conversation and share your own stories of what didn't kill you at whatdidn'tkillyou.com. And you can follow along at what didn't kill you on Instagram. I wish you great fortune, growth, and clarity as you navigate your own path. And I hope today's conversation may have contributed in some small way. See you next time.